0: I'm April Willis and you're listening to the Unbound Outdoors Collective, the podcast where us ladies get to chat unapologetically about hunting, fishing, all things outdoors, and our experiences within. In this episode, I'll be getting comfy in my couch as I talk to Erica about mushrooms of the morel variety. Erica is a veterinarian and hunter education instructor from Eastern Manitoba, with a love for hunting, fishing, and foraging. She even has her own Learn to Hunt course. So in this episode, we will be talking about her foraging over the past five years, and I cannot wait to pick her brain to help you become a better morel forager. All right, thanks for coming on to chat with me, Erica. I'm actually really excited to learn some things about morels and probably up my confidence levels a little bit from last year because mushroom season was an absolute bust for me last year yeah
1: me too it was so dry (laughs) you think it was like the lack of snow and lack of rain oh absolutely mushrooms the key thing is rain if you've got a rain especially a good soaker like a day or two after the rain you can you can go out and start finding mushrooms but it was just so dry (laughs) last two summers. Like I follow the, um, the rainfall amounts for all throughout the province. And like, I base Mm -hmm. my trips on like how much rain that there's been. Really? Yeah. Like you say, Oh, good soaker in that area. I'll head down there. Yeah. Really? Well,
0: I'm, I'm interested. Like that's cool that you said that. And I'm going to a little bit later, I'll ask you like a few things about what indicates a good year. So hopefully you'll say that all over again for me. <laughs> oh, I oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so Erica, for those who are listening that don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about kind of who you are, what to, you know, what do you do and what got you interested in harvesting morels, mushrooms, wild edibles? Okay, sure. Um,
1: I'm a veterinarian by trade and, um, I grew up in the Maritimes. And we spent all our summers, my sister and I just romping around in the woods, just making forts and picking up bugs and turning over rocks. And we used to eat a fair amount of berries and so on that we'd find in the woods. So I've I've always had that with me, just finding food on my own. And then I turned that into a high school project for biology class or something and, and did a bit of digging and got some research. And I still have those books that I had way back in high school. And then I had gone to university prior to going to vet school in Alberta. And I I really wanted to return to the West when I graduated vet school in PEI. And I picked Manitoba specifically for the hunting and fishing opportunities. And I grew up fishing, uh, didn't do any hunting. And um, I wanted to start hunting when I graduated vet school and, and had all my degrees done and everything. And I started hunting out here and, and learning a little bit each year and always have been foraging, didn't get into the mushrooms until a few years ago, um, mostly because of just a little bit intimidated, you know, a little bit scared about poisonous mushrooms. I've since learned um, that it's not as bad as a lot of people think, and we can get into that. Um, but right. yeah, I just I try to live as much off the land as I can. I moved to a, a hobby farm a couple years ago, so we grow a lot of our own food now. But but before that, mm-hmm. uh, for about five years before that, I was proud to say that all my meat came from stuff that I went and got myself, so fish and game. Wow! And then did some foraging, not a lot, like replacement for groceries. You know, like I wasn't getting tons mm-hmm. of salad material, but enough to supplement and and it's um foraging like when you're a big hunter like me foraging is a great way to be out hunting when it's not hunting season so you can be out yes. mushroom hunting and you can be picking greens and and it's it's just the whole lifestyle and ethos of being in the woods and finding your own stuff and getting your own stuff and a lot of it's hard work but it's very satisfying and mm-hmm. it's way easier to go to the grocery store, but it's so much more satisfying to go and find it yourself and pick it, then identify it and make something with it. And it's just awesome that way. So yeah, so I'm I'm very outdoorsy, and and Manitoba is for all you people who aren't from Manitoba, you might want to have a look. We don't do a very good job at advertising how awesome we are mm-hmm. for outdoor experiences, but Winnipeg yeah. is within about an hour or two of like pretty much any game or fish. Or mushroom or whatever you want to find so for a big city it's got lots of city stuff to offer but you're close if you have to work in a city you're still close to the woods here and it's a lot of public mm-hmm. land a lot of a lot of crown land that that's that's accessible for everybody so yeah so that's why i came out here yeah that's and
0: I I like that you mentioned that, like that we have so much public land between wildlife management areas, crown lands, the the different provincial parks, like there is Mm -hmm. so much land that people can spend time on that isn't private and that you
1: don't need permission on. Yeah, absolutely. Like I rarely have to hunt or do anything on on private land. Like there's Mm -hmm. lots of opportunities in the, the, there's a few provincial parks close that you can hunt in. Um, the the provincial forests so that you can get logging permits and go collect lo- your own firewood mm-hmm. or lumber and yeah, yeah that we have my a lot to offer that. for our people yeah we we did it a little bit um i wish i had a wood stove in in my farm home we don't but I, if i did oh just the just love that just the honest i don't go to the gym i like to to my exercise to be outdoors so if, if we had a wood stove i'd, mm-hmm. I'd be super fit because i'd be wood and chop chicken all, all the time so. oh yeah I love it just love it <laughs>
0: that's awesome yeah um so I'm wondering like so you didn't get into mushroom harvesting and hunting for you know until the last few years
1: mm-hmm.
0: do you are there specific types
1: that you look for or just morels or do you have any other oh, types that you like oh lots oh I probably about a dozen species that I'm comfortable with now and wow. uh yeah so and they're very the ones that I'd recommend starting with ones that are easy to identify and don't have deadly lookalikes and the really good mushroom guides and resources online should always tell you the, the dangerous lookalikes. So I stay okay. and I still stay away from the ones that have the really dangerous lookalikes. So I don't, I can identify like, say for example, agaricus, which is your white button mushroom at the grocery store. There's several mm-hmm. species, uh, um, of that genus that grow, um, you know, you can find them on the lawn or in pastures, but there are a couple that, um, of lookalikes that are very dangerous. So I don't even touch them. I don't, Ooh. I don't mess around with um, those ones at all. So, but yeah, there's, are there's those the ones, sorry, go ahead. Okay. You finish. Yeah. Um,
0: the, so the little white ones and I, I, I pick like red tops with my mom and I pick morels. That's like those are the only two that I've ever done. Are the white button ones, the ones that in the beginning of the season they're nice and firm, but in the end of the season they turn to puffballs. Oh, you can eat puffballs. All puffballs are so edible. so they're not the same. They're puffballs no. and the little
1: white guys are not the same. No, that's the problem is when the poisonous ones are little and just emerging they look a lot like a puffball. So any puffball mm. you eat and there's several species that you can eat. There's the giant ones nothing looks like them like the ones that look like soccer mm. balls. Those are fine. But you always want to cut into a puffball or what you think is a puffball. And if there's like a little baby mushroom inside it, it's an amanita and that amanita is very poisonous. But if you cut it all the way through and it's mm. like a marshmallow, then it's that marshmallow one is perfectly edible. Now let, let's back up a little bit. This this podcast should not be your only reference as far as what's safe to eat. You should mm-hmm. be doing a lot of research about what grows in your area. Get a couple field guides mm-hmm. on the internet. Actually, Facebook has a couple really good mushroom ID sites. So you should before you eat anything, oh. do a lot of research and bef- and when you bring your mushroom home, you do your final identification. So just to back that up, I just right. want to make sure that people aren't using this as okay. the only thing. But if you're interested mm-hmm. in puffballs, when you've done your research and you look at what's growing and where to find them and so on, they're pretty easy to, to identify. So those are a good starter mushroom, okay. provided you cut every single one of them. And it's good to cut them anyway, because right. if they're a little bit off color, then they're no good for eating. So you want them when they're just white. Mm. Okay. Yeah, but there's, there's um, and, and that's the way Europa I approached after... all the... The, the mushrooms that I do eat is they're all the easy ones that I started with,
0: oh okay, right yeah um may and maybe after we're done our podcast um before we put it out uh, on the podcast app, maybe you and I can sit down and and do a little list of really good resources for people because I know
1: they're gonna ask for it, sure, yep, I can yeah, I can there's some good ones for um, on on Facebook for everybody. And then I can list the ones that are good for Manitoba. Cool. Okay. Um, do
0: you have a, do you have a favorite? Like I, I know you mentioned that mm. you ha- like try a few
1: varieties now. Do you have a favorite? Yes, I do. I, it's the pine mushroom or Matsutake is the fun way to say it. And I drive about two hours to the special spot that I have for Matsutake. Now they probably grow closer but i found a little sweet spot that grows every year once we get the, the time right. of year is right and the rain is right then i know i can right. reliably go there and find it i've got to try some closer spots but it's hard to go to a new spot when you know your old spot is producing but oh, yeah Matsutaki. Sure, yeah sorry the Matsutaki, they're picked commercially in bc and they're worth a lot of money in bc like the they can be a hundred dollars a pound and they're shipped over oh to gosh. japan but I don't think our variety of Matsutake that we have here are as good as the West Coast one. Uh, matsutake mm-hmm. just means pine mushroom in Japanese. Okay. But what's cool about them, the way to identify them, once you've found them, to definitively identify them is to smell them. Because they have the most amazing smell. They smell like cinnamons combined with hockey bag. So it's like those, those little (laughs) cinnamon hearts (laughs) and like stinky socks or like, like sweaty gym bag kind of smell. So they have that really interesting cinnamon smell at, at, they they hit you first and then you're like, what's that after smell? But they, the texture is amazing. The taste is amazing. Oh, I just love them. They're my absolute favorite.
0: And so what, what purpose do you pick those ones for? Is it for eating?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Most of the mushrooms that I pick are edible. Uh, There are a few that are medicinal that I, that I look for. And so if that,
0: if, if that mushroom is your favorite, Mm -hmm. what, what would be like your favorite dish that you, okay. So wait, first of all, I need to ask, does it taste like cinnamon and dirty socks?
1: No, (laughs) Um, no, you do get, you still get the cinnamon, Smell, but the taste is just like it's like a white grocery store mushroom, but a little bit firmer texture, a little less mushroomy, and um it's just delightful. And to cook them, you should try to feature them in a dish where they're kind of like the main part of like the important part of the dish. So you they would be like you would grill them. Or sear them in the pan and maybe serve them with some noodles and some light vegetables or a little bit of soy. Like they should be kind of featured on their own. Because you'll kind of lose mm-hmm. them if you throw them into a soup or a stew. Like you're totally gonna lose the special taste. So they need to have their own special uh, attention to
0: eat them. Right. So it's almost like you don't you don't mix them, you don't mix them into something like a like a soup or a stew or a spaghetti or anything. You you would create that dish and you would put them like at the top so that you can take pieces of the dish but pieces of the mushroom and get that like yep. flavor in every bite
1: yep you could put them into soups but if it was a, a nice light asian kind of soup like a very thin broth okay. where there wasn't a whole lot but yeah if you you could throw them in spaghetti they'll add some texture and some meat air quotes to spaghetti but you're not going to taste yeah. the the special yeah you
0: lose the flavor in it yep yeah. I was going to ask is, uh, the, are the Asian dishes sort of the way that you like to use your mushrooms most? Oh,
1: no. Um, that's the, the Matsutake. I love doing them that way, but a lot of my mushrooms that I collect, um, they're just for your regular dishes. Like, so if you're making like a, um, a stroganoff. I have a bunch of mushrooms that are great in that. If you're making a stir fry or anything that you want to add mushrooms to, a lot of them they're good substitutes. Some of them are kind of unique flavored and don't mm. fit as well. Like for example, the chanterelle is a very light and fruity mushroom, so it doesn't go so well with like say if you're making a pasta dish with kind of a creamy sauce with like garlic it doesn't really go so well with that but it goes really well on its own in a risotto so um but it's just like any ingredient like some things are great in some things and others aren't like so you wouldn't put peaches in your stir fry but you might put peaches in a salad like even though it's kind of weird to think of peach and salad it just kind of fits better with the salad and especially if you got some blue cheese or something in that versus like you would bury your peaches in a heavy tomato dish. But it's fun to experiment, right, right. I mean, just, just cook. And I have some good mushroom books um, that I've got recently that, that there were, it was put together by you know mushroom people that just love mushrooms, go out and pick mushrooms and are just nuts about mushrooms and how they cook that mushroom as their favorite dish. So it really, it's a collection of, of recipes that really feature the individual mushrooms. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll get the um, I'll get, I'll uh, go look it up and we'll put it in the show notes because it's I love that book.
0: Okay, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: um, I'm gonna kind of switch
0: gears on you and go like into mushroom, like harvesting and hunting for mushrooms. <laughs> um, and my first little question for you because I think of my mom when I think about this. Do you have any wives' tales about when? And how to pick
1: mushrooms. Mm, yeah, let me think.
0: Um,
1: uh, yeah, so one, uh, all blue staining bolets are safe. And then I've also heard all blue staining bolets are not safe. Um <laughs> yeah, so just don't some blue stain. Maybe we should talk a bit about the features in helping you identify a mushroom. Yeah. So some of the important things, and, and, and the mushroom guides, the, the good ones especially, like anything that's a good mushroom guide will have a lot of key features for identifying the mushroom. And you you really have to use all your senses. Well, except maybe hearing. You mm-hmm. don't listen to too many mushrooms. But you do mm-hmm. use, your, use your, your eyes. You use your nose. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Use your taste. And now it's a bit of a myth that if you touch or taste a mushroom, it will, and it's poisonous, it will kill you, which is not true. You can touch the mm-hmm. most deadly mushroom there is, and you'll be fine. And as a matter of fact, part of mushroom identification is the spit test. So we take a little nibble of the Ooh. raw mushroom, you taste it in your mouth, you don't swallow, and you spit it out. And some of the mushroom mm-hmm. ID is important for that. So it'll be like if it tastes peppery or spicy, then it might indicate something. A lot of times, like the smell, like we talked with Matsutake, the smell can mm-hmm. be important. So chanterelles have a, a fruity smell, a dryad salad, saddle or um, pheasant back, it's another name for it, that has like a melon smell, like a melon rind smell. So that's part of the ID. Um, and some of them just say a mushroomy smell. So if you smelled your mushrooms from the grocery store, mm-hmm. it would have that smell. So that's part of the ID is they'll have that. One important feature that you can't really do in the field and you need to take your mushrooms home and kind of maybe wait to, to, to eat them sometimes is called a spore print. So you take the mushroom cap, the spore surface. So there's either gilled mm-hmm. or, or porous spore surface. So if you flip the mushroom over, like the mushroom top, flip it over and mm-hmm. there could be gills there, just like the white mushrooms that you find in the grocery store, or it might be like a spongy mm-hmm. surface. So you put that, Pour surface down on a piece of paper and I like to use actually foil because the foil you can see white spores and darker colored spores some people Mm -hmm. they have like um, a laminated card that's half black half white and they put the mushroom down at the division of that so you can see if it's got a white or a pink spore or a pale yellow Mm -hmm. that you might not see on white paper I just use foil I should I keep meaning to make up those little and spore print things, but so some of your ID is really important to wait for that spore print. Now, if you're a new person, um, it might be if you're picking a mushroom that hinges on the spore print. You might want to start with ones that are have features that are a little bit more readily identifiable in the field or without having to do that. And and it's important to always do a spore print, but that for some some mushrooms. It's the spore print that says safe or not safe or edible or not edible. Mm-hmm. So those ones I wouldn't recommend for starter mushrooms, right. but it's, it's kind of fun. And they make beautiful images. They make beautiful pictures. Like you get almost like a negative of a mushroom. It's quite neat. Right. Yeah. So you look um, at them, you're for color. You're gonna look at the characteristics of the cap. Is it scaly? Is it smooth? Is it sticky? You're going to smell it. You're gonna pick it out of the soil and look at the base where the mycelium or the roots sort of of the mushroom um, mm-hmm. are, and kind of look at at their color. Yeah, and then the spit test, and then take it home do the spore the spore test. So
0: for someone who maybe doesn't know and like just wants to get into it, how? How important is positive identification? And so if you didn't identify it right, like what could, what could go wrong? Why do we want to positively identify each time?
1: Sure. So in the books, it'll say whether something's edible or not. And if it's not edible, it doesn't necessarily mean it's poisonous. It just means that you can't eat it like it's woody or whatever, but there are mm-hmm. the, the, your mushroom books should say which, which ones are toxic or poisonous. Now, uh, most times with mushrooms, you're just going to get gastrointestinal upset, so vomiting and diarrhea. That said, there are some people who are sensitive to mushrooms that most people can eat. So any mushroom, once you've positively identified it and you're ready to eat it, don't eat a lot of it. If it's your first time eating it, just eat a little bit. And if you feel okay, then you're probably fine. But there are some people that are sensitive to certain types of mushrooms. So, for example, I can't eat the mushroom called chicken of the woods, which I'm very sad about because it tastes like chicken. Yeah, they're beautiful. They taste awesome. You get huge flushes. So you can bring home the bacon with this puppy, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. a huge pile of chicken of the woods. It's growing in my backyard now. And I I spent years looking for it. And now I have it growing in my backyard and it's the one I can't eat. Mind you, there are two. Types of chicken of the woods. I only tried the sulfuris, sulfurus, the Lataporus cincinnatus. I haven't tried that one yet, but it was. Um, so I, I found someone I was still living in the city and, oh, I brought home this beautiful pile of mushrooms and I had a little bit and everything went okay. And then I didn't wait long enough and I had a lot of it. And then interestingly enough, I spent the rest of the next day in the bathroom and I, I don't know if I have um, a day to give up for the other species of, of, uh, chicken of the woods, or should I just accept that I can't eat chicken in the woods,
0: which is too bad. Right. I, a couple of years ago, I was at an archery tournament and, uh, I found a chicken of the woods and Ooh. I don't, well, I don't eat mushrooms because I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared because a few years back I had, um, a, a salad from a subway store and I ended up getting really sick with, um, mm-hmm. and like also getting a, uh, ulcer from it. And Ooh. so since then that salad had in it, um, eggs, spinach, and mushrooms. And now mm-hmm. I can't eat any of those things. Yeah. So now I'm scared to mm-hmm. eat other mushrooms in case I get as sick as I do with those yeah. things now. Yeah. So. I was at an archery tournament and I found this chicken of the woods and Melissa, she loves mushrooms. So Mm -hmm. I picked, I picked about, I don't know, maybe two thirds of it. I left Mm -hmm. the rest of it on where I found it so that, you know, it would hopefully keep growing. And I took this home and I researched like how to, how to prepare it so that I could transport it to her without it you know disintegrating and mm-hmm. not being good so I did that and I took it to them and this was I think the first time that they had had it and Melissa made like a nice pasta and put it on top and her husband ate a whole bunch of it and he was mm-hmm. kind of sick the the next day I don't think he yeah. was. he didn't spend the whole day in the bathroom but yeah he was like what did you do and I'm like well you've never mm-hmm. eaten it before like how do you know yeah, if yeah, you have to try to eat
1: it yeah and it's not particularly chicken of the woods that's bad that way it's just any mushroom you have to be careful the first time you eat it. And the rule is also you must cook every single wild mushroom because just because it's edible doesn't mean you can eat it raw. And as a matter of fact, a lot of them that are completely edible and delicious cooked will definitely make you sick raw.
0: And so is there an amount of time that you have to cook them? Like, is it like fully cooked or
1: is it just like pan searing and it's good? So it depends on the mushroom and usually the guides will tell you that. So okay. there's a very popular mushroom in Manitoba called honey mushroom or papanki. It's a Ukrainian mm-hmm. favorite. And whenever I'm mm-hmm. out in the woods looking for that mushroom, I run into Ukrainians, Russians, and Polish ladies, yes. which is so cool. <laughs> That's who I find, but yes. Yeah, so that one, it says cook thoroughly. And some people like they cook the crap out of it, they boil it and they change the water and boil it. And then they fry it really just have to cook it. It's fine. Okay. But, uh, but it does usually say that in the guide, like the Matsutake, just a pan sears is fine is fine for that one. And mm-hmm. like your grocery store mushrooms, you can eat raw. So, right. you know, they're clearly species that you can, and there are some wild ones that you can not eat can not eat raw, but, Again, the guides will probably tell you that, but the general rule of thumb with mus- wild mushrooms is cook them and cook them well. And then when you get a little bit more experienced and a little bit more familiar, then you can maybe not cook them quite as much. Right. Then you can dabble a yeah. little bit. Yeah. But there are a couple of mushrooms who will 100% kill you in Manitoba. Really? Yes. And, so and you, that
0: is the, like am, is anywhere to eat them raw or just any Cooked any or boy? raw.
1: Yeah cooked yeah uh, amanita is one of them the, the then the common name is destroying angel now now the mushroom oh purists out there there are some amanitas that are p- completely edible I don't touch amanitas so the amanita mm. the classic one is that Alice in Wonderland red toadstool with the white spots on it oh okay. but there are lots of other species of amanita and the destroying angel is a white one and that's one of the, the ones that you have to be careful because an early amanita can look like a puffball, and a puffball is oh, perfectly edible. And the destroying angel will kill you. And then the other one is deadly gallerina. Fortunately, the mushroom people have named these mushrooms with with um, obvious names. There's another one called the sickener. Mm-hmm. That one just makes you sick, makes you vomit. <laughs> and its name actually has the word vomit in it, Russula medica. So, yeah. So they, they, there are a few. There's, there's another one called Big Laughing Jim is the name of it, and it's an hallucinogen. And Jim oh. is G-Y-M because it's Gymnopilus is the, is the genus name. Gee. Yeah, so there are only a few so that will wouldn't, kill you. you wouldn't die from that one? No, you, you get really sick and then you'd hallucinate while you're on the toilet, I guess. So I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't go down. A lot of people like they, they like the, the idea of magic mushrooms. I steer way clear of that because like some mushrooms Mm -hmm. can make you very sick and kill you. And who's this drug addict guy who's selling you mushrooms at the corner? Like, no, thank you. Not for me.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: uh, I'm, I'm just all about the food. Yeah. I'm just all about the food, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there are a couple and, um, there is a mushroom that looks. There are a couple mushrooms that look like that honey mushroom, the papinki. One of them is mm-hmm. the deadly gallerina. So it's not really a beginner mm-hmm. mushroom. Um, it's not hard once somebody shows you. And then there's mm-hmm. another one that looks like it called the jack-o'-lantern. And that one just makes you sick. It won't, it won't really hurt you, but it'll make you sick. But even right. after you pick your mushrooms and you're certain, when you go home and you're getting ready to cook them, or preserve them like if you're drying them or freezing them um mm-hmm. you should inspect every single mushroom so even last fall I picked all kinds of those papenki because when they come out they're everywhere and they're thick mm-hmm. and I came home and I was cleaning them and cutting them up and getting them ready to to put away so those I just blanch and then freeze um I found actually a deadly gallerina in it so you do have them. to yep so you still have to check them and i should back up a little bit you need to either dry mushrooms or cook them i said everything has to be cooked you can also dry them to for as part of the, the preservation to just to get rid of the toxic part but again your guides and your research should tell you your specific preparation uh, for that particular mushroom i hope i'm not scaring people because so- i make I'm telling people like, you got to make sure you do this. You got to make sure you do that, but it's, it's really not that bad. And I, it is a bit intimidating, but if you start with something that's easy and explore from there, and especially if you can get someone to come show you, Mm -hmm. then that's the best. And finding those Polish ladies and those Ukrainian ladies in the woods is really helpful too. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that's, that's
0: my background. And I do remember, um, you know baba baba didn't mushroom hunt with us for too many years that i remember but me and Mum do and i i remember um the red tops i can't remember what Mum calls them but oh, she I cuts know. every single one yep
1: yep and you're also looking for bugs when you do that so the what yes. you're calling red tops are probably they got a few names birch bolete or skaber stock are they kind of a rusty red or orange top um, the stem is white with little black fuzzies on it.
0: Um, I, I don't remember black fuzzies, but I do remember that the top is that kind of like not white brick,
1: brick red. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they go to orange and they're a good sized mushroom, like four or five inches tall. Mm-hmm. And some of them get to be huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are probably, mm, yeah, yeah, there's like- a few names. So when you get the ID on those in the book, it always says Lexinum species because sometimes to actually identify which species of mushroom it is so we have genus and species so homo sapiens genus and species sometimes you just get to the homo part of it so in this case it's the lexinum because Mm -hmm. you need a microscope or a microbiology or a mycology degree to to differentiate them but it doesn't really matter because they're all considered the same as far as mushroom collection goes so yeah there's tons of those in the late summer. And sometimes when those come out, like you get a late August rain, it's just nuts finding them. So those Mm. are, those are good ones. And they're fairly easy for a beginner mushroom, but again, you don't want to just hear a red top mushroom and go out and pick a red top amanita. Mm -hmm. You can't just go by like somebody saying red top. You got to do the research for it. And the other thing that sometimes gets confusing is people have different names. So you said red top and then I, first you said it and I was like, I am wondering what one that one is. Cause for me, red top, I'm thinking of the Rusula ones, which none of them are edible. And I'm like, well, can't be that. And then, yeah, it <laughs> dawned on, oh, that of <laughs> course, of course. I know which one you mean now. So yeah, it has a lot of different names. So birch eat, skaber stock. Yeah. And they're all, the reason why they have so many names is probably because they're not all the same species, but they're all kind of lumped together as the same mm-hmm edibility and same kind of grocery item
0: right like those yeah. both of those names i've never heard those names before and with I the just, i think maybe yeah the,
1: the or the birch bolete or the yeah the yes. stabor stock yeah.
0: yeah yeah those ones um i think baba probably called it something in ukrainian
1: mm. and yeah and, and then not... the other the other thing is is sometimes the, the, it seems like these eastern europeans do a lot of mushroom picking And their variety of mushroom over there maybe doesn't grow here, but there's something that's very Mm -hmm. close. So they may be using a different word for it when, like, it's you know familiarly known as that term, but here it's actually Mm -hmm. different species. But for all intents and purposes, it's the same again grocery item. Yeah, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. different varieties of tomatoes. They're all tomatoes, right? right? But it's just a different variety, kind of thing. Just a different name, yeah yeah but if you can find somebody that knows a little bit about mushrooms or there are a couple times um here in in Winnipeg I've seen advertised people that go out on mushroom walks and that's actually how I got my first step into the mushroom hunting as I managed to get on one of those mushroom walks it was posted on a Facebook group but you need kind of special circumstances for that to work because you need to have like the right weather conditions. Like you can't just set it up two months in advance. Cause what if we're having a dry spell, there'll be nothing to find. So if you can go out with somebody who knows a little something, then that's helpful. But again, don't rely a hundred percent on one source always back that with, okay, here's the book, here's the website I like. Mm -hmm. And then, Mm -hmm. and uh, even like the Facebook, some Facebook groups are pretty good. I have a book that
0: I bought this year that uh, it's a mushroom hunting guide for, is it for the province of Manitoba or is it the sp- Southern Prairies? I can't quite remember, but I'm actually not really impressed because the, the photographs are like drawings, are drawing, mm. they're artwork pieces. Mm-hmm. And I just, for for me to start to learn and get better at IDing and, and being more confident, that is not the type of photo, or that's not the type of piece I need to see. I mm-hmm. want to see an actual real photo. Right. So, so there
1: discreter. are some some of the books, there are some anatomic structures. They'll have a little line drawing at the front of the book and they'll explain, okay, this is the cap, these are the pore surface, and these are gills, these are spore, these are um, a porous surface, this is the skirt. This is the veil. This is the stipe. They'll kind of give you those, what it translates to in the line drawing. But yeah, pictures are the way to go. And that's why it's good to have several books too, because like the pictures, maybe the color doesn't quite translate. It's good to have a few Mm -hmm. examples. And then one nice thing is if you've got a good flush of mushrooms, when you're picking them, you can see a little young one and one a little bit older and one really old, because sometimes the features... Mm -hmm. That you're looking for don't show up when they're first emerging so if you have a bunch growing together and you can see the features as it grows then it really helps
0: mm-hmm. yeah that yeah. makes sense
1: you're getting all excited about mushrooms now it's just starting to <laughs> melt know, when like are uh... we when is the <laughs> snow going to be gone when can we go look for mushrooms and we haven't even Do talked about think... morale yet
0: i know i like <laughs> we're just going um yeah do you think that this year, the amount of snow we got, like one of my, what I wanted to ask you was like, what factors indicate a good year, but do you think that we're going to have a good year?
1: I think so. Yeah. Yep. Especially mm-hmm. for the morels. Yep. This, this, so morels are a spring mushroom and they grow out of the soil and they need a soil temperature. You has to absolutely have a, a soil temperature of 10 degrees Celsius. And I think that's 55 Fahrenheit. So you need a specific soil temperature. So the the really geeky mushroom people, they go out with the thermometer and they stick it in the soil. Um, But actually, you can look that kind of stuff up online. There's a Manitoba agriculture website. They'll give you soil temperature too. And then you need the moisture. So we've got a good dose of of moisture from all the snow we got this winter. So they've got a good start. And then especially if you get a bit of a rain. So it's kind of a magic combination for morels. You need like the right place to look for them. So they're associated with lots of different trees. So generally, if you go out to the woods and you find just a good mixed hardwood and coniferous forest and just wander around, and it can be just this elevation, this little hill halfway up the hill is the sweet spot for the mushrooms that day. And just the right amount of sun um, that might be, that might be the way to find them. But the problem is it's just it's not like going out looking for a tree that's there all the time. Mushrooms are ephemeral. Mm-hmm. So the mushroom is a, a really fascinating creature, organism, in that it's most of the organism lives under the soil. And, and what you're seeing on the surface as the mushroom, the part that we like, is just the fruiting body, which is the analogy, analogy is like an apple tree. So your apple tree is the, Mm -hmm. the organism, the mycelium and the apples are the fruit. So your apples, the apple trees there all the time. And then the fruit come and then you can pick, pick the fruit, but not like an apple tree mushrooms kind of, it's a certain time of year. It's so many days after rain, Mm -hmm. it's temperature. It's just the right amount of sunshine or, or darkness. So it's not like you can reliably count on that mushroom being there every time you go. So, I have some good mushroom mm-hmm. spots that don't produce every year, but I know the mycelium is in there in the soil, just waiting for the right conditions.
0: right um My mom always said that for morels for morels to grow, we needed a good shot of rain, mm-hmm. some really nice sunshine, and you had to go out before the leaves were fully mm-hmm. formed on the trees.
1: yep, the poplar trees, yep so. Yeah, that's that's very good, very good advice as far as finding them. But don't be discouraged if you don't find them the first time. It took me a few years before I found my first morel, and it was kind of like right. figuring out when you're hunting a new species, like when you, if you go chicken hunting or chicken uh, hunting for rough grouse. I have found the sweet combination for rough grouse has always worked for me is a sandy road because they need the grit. You need the spruce trees that they can roost in at night. You need the food mm-hmm. that they're going to eat. So often, those little berries or clover. If you're finding clover on the side of the road, mm-hmm. and then the source of water. So you get that magic combination. You're going to probably find rough grouse if the habitat's there. The, the birds usually are. So same with the mushrooms. You need the right kind of tree. Now mushrooms are always, almost always associated with tree in some way. They either live off the tree or in a mycorrhizal relationship with the roots of the tree. So the, oh. the, the organism under the soil, the mycelium, lives in harmony with the tree roots and they actually okay. share nutrients. So morels or any mushroom that you're looking for, you, you need to learn what tree it's associated with and then find where those trees grow. Now, there are some mushrooms that grow in the middle of a pasture, but generally most of the mushrooms it's associated some way with the trees. So if you go to the woods, you've got the right trees, the soil temperature is right. The, the air temperature and the moisture is right. Then you're going to find them. So yeah, the, the key with morels is um, those, when the poplars first start budding out, when they just get that mm-hmm. green kind of haze on them, when you see them from a distance, mm-hmm. that's when you can start looking. I also start looking um, when when I start seeing wild ginger growing, or the violets, the, the, the wild violets, when I start seeing mm-hmm. them, I know there's going to be morels nearby. So because they come out at a certain really? time, and the mushrooms come out at a certain time.
0: Huh. Um, I yeah. don't even know what wild ginger
1: looks like. Oh, um, it's a fuzzy stem, and a, it's called a chordate leaf, so kind of a heart-shaped leaf. And they have these beautiful funky little flowers and if you pull up the roots it smells like ginger so that that's my personal thing I don't think I've ever seen that in a book but when I start finding wild ginger and I start finding violets when the violets are out then it's okay good the the morales are going to be out soon because it could be just like you there might be out but you're like 50 feet away from them because you're a little bit damper and deeper down that hill maybe they're a little bit higher up the Uh hill so so yeah, they're a bit ephemeral, but it's, it's fun hunting. It, it's, it's quite an adventure to go and look.
0: I, I'm just thinking now of all of these, like in my area, um, we've got quite a bit of public land around us and I have permission on pretty much all of the private land and because it's all owned by one person. And mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of places that I shed hunted last spring where there were violets beside the trees ah.
1: <laughs> and I did not see a single mushroom. <laughs> Okay, well, last year was tough because it was very dry in the spring. We had hardly any snow and there was hardly any rain. Yeah, well, sand's not too bad. Like they, like mushroom, the morels aren't too bad for for sandy soil. Where I usually find them is in sandy lands, and as the name Mm -hmm. suggests, it's quite sandy there. So, um, Mm -hmm. but morels, there's lots of different species of morels too. There's, I think, there's like five or six that grow in the province, and some of them are are like the yellow morels there mm-hmm. uh, you'll find them more in like open grassy gravelly areas mm-hmm. and then there's the black morels that are more in the woods and then there's some that are burn morels that you'll find them after a burn. so there's lots of different okay. habitats to find them but again it's the the temperature yeah finding those trees that are just starting to bud out and for you seeing those wild violets then you can look for some of the the black morels and, and amongst them but if you don't see them that day it doesn't mean they're not there you just need to come mm-hmm. back in a few days, right? Um. So I was
0: always told that there was such thing as false morales. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing?
1: Yep. But if you look at the key features in identifying morels, it it if you look at them side by side and look in a book, then you're not going to make the mistake. But if you right. If you just go by, oh, it's kind of got a wrinkly surface and that's your only feature, then you're going to be wrong. So the key features for morels is like a honeycomb cap. The false morels Mm -hmm. are kind of a gnarly, brainy, wrinkly, pruny surface. Mm -hmm. Um, If you cut it open, it's completely hollow. Mm -hmm. And the cap is attached to the stem. So like when you cut it open, you can see that the cap is continuous with the stem. Now, that said, there is the half free morel, which does have a little bit of a, a cap that overhangs it like a regular, you know, toadstool kind of mushroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have the opportunity to, to look at a real morel side by side with a false morel, like in a in a guide, then mm-hmm. um, it, they're pretty obvious when you see them. And some people say they look right. like Christmas trees. I don't find that so much, but. Yeah, once you see a real morel with a false morel right beside it, you'll be fine. And the good guidebooks will explain, like, again, like the, the toxic lookalikes or the, the ones you can't eat.
0: Mm-hmm. And so those ones, the the false ones, if you did not positively identify, is that like a deathly or is that like no. a sick? No, I just get sick. Neither one are good
1: being dead or sick. (laughs) No, but it's, it's, you know, you get a bit of tummy upset, but again, like you want to make sure that, that you've done your homework and don't be intimidated Mm -hmm. because it doesn't take a lot of homework for, for morels to identify them. And then, you know, you can post it on Facebook and one of the mushroom groups and say, is this a morel? And then be like, yep. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, once, and once you learn it, you're never going to forget it you'll be fine. So, right. I just I've picked up mushrooms you know, a couple each year, I learn a bit more. I really want to try to find this mushroom and then I kind of put my effort into finding it and I find the right spot. So, just over the years I've I've got some good spots where I know I'm going to find king boletes. They're amazing. Where I'm going to mm-hmm. find morels, where I'm going to find my matsutake and then some of the ones that grow on on the trees themselves. The honey mm-hmm. mushrooms grow on rotting wood. So, like over the years I've just picked up a few each year and kind of studied them Mm -hmm. did. And there's some really good YouTube videos too. And then gone out and found them compared to what I have. And then you never forget. And, and it's, and it's so much fun. It's just such an awesome excuse to be out in the woods.
0: Right. Are there, do do you know of any YouTube videos that are kind of focused more towards Manitoba? No, but
1: it's not too bad. A lot of them. One, one I, follow a lot is learn your land and he's excellent he Mm -hmm. explains the identifying features uh what the -hmm. the 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 dangerous lookalikes look like he goes into the like the science of the mushroom whether it's been proven to use for any kind of medicinal properties how it fits in the ecosystem how to find it even how to cook it a bit so that's learn your land he's he's really good he's he started up a tree series too so i'm looking forward to that like he's big into the IDing and understanding your wildlife. Yeah. My, I'm, I'm a labeler. I like to know what things are called. So I really like those kind of educational things like this is this kind of tree and this is that kind of bush and everything. And this is this kind of mushroom. Let's just, I just love naming things and knowing what they are and then taking them home and cooking them.
0: Um, and and I, I wanted to ask you where you know, a person should focus kind of their attentions, like if they were looking. But then I realized that we've talked about different kinds of mushrooms and that's not the case. Like each, each mushroom probably prefers a different area or prefers a different tree or a different condition, doesn't it?
1: Yep. Yeah. But we're lucky here again, close to Winnipeg within an hour or two, there's great habitat for lots of mushrooms. And when you go out, just pick up everything. Nothing's going to hurt you by picking it up take pictures. And if you are, um, you know, if taking it home to identify, take a picture of the top of the mushroom, the underside of the mushroom, Mm -hmm. the stem, cut it in half, take a picture of that. And then that's what they're going to need to identify it. Smell it um, even do the spit spit test. And then you can take Mm -hmm. a representative one. I just carry um, these cheap little paper bags that you get at the grocery store. Like you just buy a package of thin paper bags. I take those with mm-hmm. me and I can put the mushroom in there and, and roll it up so that it doesn't get crushed under the, all the other mushrooms. And I take it home and do the spore print and identify it better. But yeah, it's okay. just go out to the woods. You'll find something. And then when you start to learn more about them, you'll find uh, different, like different kinds of woods and different parts of the woods. Like for example, spruce woods, you, there's pine plantation in there. There's, um, mm-hmm uh, Aspen parkland. So lots of poplars, there's big rolling pastures in there. Like you go for an hour walk and you're going to go through three or four different types of habitat where there'll be lots of different types of mushrooms. So yeah, just go out to the woods and get started. Our,
0: now you can tell me your take on this. Like last year, a friend um, had picked a few different varieties, but she was kind of scared to, ask too many people for identification because she had heard that like the purists get really upset if you pick too many of the mushrooms.
1: Okay. All right. Let's, let's settle this right now. So going back to our (laughs) apple tree analogy. Mm -hmm. So you can pick all the apples on the tree. It's not going to hurt the apple tree. There may not be any left for anybody else or for the deer mm-hmm. or the mush or the uh, squirrels that eat the mushrooms but you're not going to hurt that apple tree by picking the apples that's what the fruit are there for is to disperse spores now i used mm-hmm. to i still pick with a basket and i still i shouldn't but i still subconsciously deep down look down my nose at people who pick with a bucket because mm-hmm. i was taught originally and it's it's not necessarily important but i was taught originally You pick with a basket because then the spores fall out of the basket and you're seeding, as it were, repopulating the forest. But really, there's millions of spores coming off the mushroom. As soon as you pick it up off the soil, it's blowing everywhere. So you can pick them in buckets and and not be harmful to the environment. You can pick every single one of them and not be harmful to the mycelium. There's also a raging debate about whether you pick or pluck. You can pluck them. Uh-huh. It doesn't hurt the mycelium. It doesn't hurt it at all. There's miles of that stuff under the soil, but and sometimes you want to pluck it because you want to see the base of that mushroom and how the mycelia come off. Cause that can be part of the identification. So cut if you want, oh, okay. I cut most of the time because then you're not picking up the dirt with it. And then I trim off the the, the dirty bits um, or I pluck it and then trim it off. So yeah, it's, it's fine to take them all especially if you're the only one picking there i mean it's the ethical way of foraging is to not take everything and to share it with mm-hmm. the mother nature and all the animals and maybe the other people who want to use the forest and share it but ecologically and for the health of that mushroom it's it's not harmful at all
0: okay Good. so you I'm, can I'm glad technically that be we selfish went over that
1: Yeah, you can be selfish with mushroom picking. Yeah, it's okay. Especially if it's your own private patch. Yeah, like the way they work is is you're not going to harm it. And because they're so ephemeral, because you've only got them there that week, you probably should get as much as you can use. Like, again, don't take it if you're not going to eat it or use it. But if you're going to, if you're like me and you put up pounds and pounds and pounds of of, of honey mushrooms in the fall to use all year, then go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. But people can be very protective about their spots. So it's sometimes hard to get someone to take you because they don't want to give up a good spot because, you know, because they're so precious.
0: Yes, I I know that very well. Like back home, the the Ukrainian ladies, they get very upset if they see somebody else in their spot and they Mm -hmm. will not tell you. They'll not tell Mm -hmm. you where it is. No.
1: Yeah, I'm a little bit stingy sometimes, too. So I have my special spots that they're only for me. If I'm going Mm -hmm. to take somebody else out mushroom picking, then I will take them to a spot where I know we can find lots of variety and I can show them the trees to look for, the different plants that Mm -hmm. go with it. So I try to have good spots like that that I can share. I did um, Last spring, I did a spring foraging um, webinar through Manitoba Wildlife Federation. They asked me this year if I would do an in-person one. But the trouble with that is because... I, well I'd love to but I, how do I find a good spot where I can take a pile of people where we're actually going to find mm-hmm. things that's close to the city so it's a bit tough that way to have like a good like a big group but certainly if mm-hmm. if you know, know somebody that goes maybe you mm-hmm. can barter them you know take them turkey hunting and then they'll take you mushroom mm-hmm. hunting you can trade kind of kind of secrets on how to mm-hmm. do it versus like secret spots because there are mm-hmm, some yes. places I'd like to try, like I hunt a lot in spruce woods, but I haven't really gone there okay. much for mushroom picking. And, and this year I tried to go a couple times, but it was just so darn dry that mm-hmm. it didn't like I, I went once, I managed to find a good haul of hazelnuts that trip, but, but I would love to go back there this year if it's nice and wet, because I know the trees that grow in there. I know there's mushrooms in there, but I just haven't had a chance oh, to sure. go yet. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: If you're going this year, and that is a place that you're okay with other people being with you, or you're okay with like teaching a few things, Melissa and I are very close to Spruce Woods.
1: Yeah, no, that'd be fun. Yeah, that yeah, that be would good. be good. We could do a whole bunch of things in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'd like to. Yeah, I went last year, and um, I just it was so dry. like even when you're looking on the on the rainfall amounts on manitoba agriculture and you're like yes and then you get there and it's just like crunch 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 crunch. Mm -hmm. but it was actually fun being in there because i never go there in the summer because i hunt it in the fall and it was fun being in there in the summer and doing some exploring extra exploring in the areas that i typically hunt where i wasn't worried about Mm -hmm. making too much noise and i could kind of see what's over that hill you know or i could go see down explore down that valley yeah, you kind of get a little bit of intel that way. Yeah, and and you also get an appreciation of just how much poison ivy is in that place <laughs> that you don't see oh in the fall. Oh my gosh. I am so sensitive yes. to poison it ivy. I've gotten it picking, uh, like hunting in the fall. Like, a, like in November, I've had it all up my back. I don't know how I got into it, but I remember sitting on a hill once in a really good spot watching down this hill at this deer trail and just waiting. And then I just kind of looked to my side I look to my other side and all these sticks that I'm sitting in, I realize they're all poison mm, ivy. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so terrible with poison ivy.
0: I but I don't let that, it stop me. I did that exact thing two years ago. I think it was in bow season. I mm-hmm. sat on a hill and it was covered in poison ivy and I essentially had a chemical burn.
1: Yep. Yeah, I get it. Terrible. I've had it Not good. like all down my legs, on my face, on my back. And I, it just blisters. Oh, it's, it is. It's just like heaven. Like, just like you're splashing a hot oil on your skin. Sometimes it's just how bad it is. And then other people, nothing drives me nuts.
0: Yeah. I, I normally when I get it, because uh, we will usually Melissa and I hunt turkeys together in the spring, and and you know we'll mm-hmm. go down there and help each other set up ground blinds down in the south, and then we'll go up north to my spots and set up ground blinds together and scout and things like that. And I you know wear gloves and everything, but you it doesn't matter. Like as soon as that oil is on something mm-hmm. and you touch it, like I mm-hmm. can feel I can feel the tingling right away, mm. and I will just not touch it. Like I, yep. it, I feel kind of crazy because all you want to do is scratch, but you just don't touch. Like I will wash it with dish soap. Yep, dish soap. Oil, if that's yep.
1: actually a thing. And yep, then just it is. Don't touch. And a washcloth. So if you're in the shower, and you're mm-hmm. decontaminating yourself after being out, like scouting or turkey hunting or berry picking or mushroom picking, all those things that we do when the poison ivy's out washcloth dish soap or even like regular soap but you really do have to work at getting it off your skin
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so and then think about your boots are covered in it so remember when you get Mm -hmm. back and you pick your boots up and you set them somewhere wash your hands again Mm -hmm. yeah so Mm um yeah when Mm -hmm. i go out i don't very often have bare legs because of like like and you get so excited to find a mushroom and you're like, looking, looking, looking at, oh, I found it. And then you look around you and you've somehow walked into a patch and it's all the way up your knees. Right. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. It's>, uh...
0: <laughs> they say that poison ivy stays in clothing for like months and months, even like sometimes even after washing it, it can be still in your clothing. Yep.
1: Yeah. You have to wash it. Uh, my I talked to my dermatologist about this. And uh, my problem is, is I start with the ticks so that I get the tick bites. So I'm scratching those. Mm. So then I'm like just dragging <laughs> the poison ivy through it. They, they kind of <laughs> sensitize my skin. So I'm like hyper ready to be allergic to anything. And then I get the poison mm-hmm. ivy on top of it. I had it so bad once a couple years ago that my dermatologist actually did biopsies because he was worried about this huge patch on me that just took off. And he was worried about Lyme disease and everything. So, so he told me, yes, you got to wash hot water three times and mm-hmm. then scrub your skin with a washcloth and soap. And right. I've been doing that since. And it seems, seems to have been helping me because I won't stay home. Poison ivy is not me no. home no, or the ticks, the ticks and the poison ivy. Yeah, there, I suffer for it, but I'm not staying home.
0: Mm -hmm. Melissa's the same way, like you say poison ivy and Melissa's got a patch that's on her all of a sudden. Yep. So, but she's the same, like, she's like, nope, I'll just, you know, use like any kind of anti-itch cream or whatever Mm -hmm. I have to do. Wash really well. She's like, I'm not staying home. Not a chance.
1: Yep. So. Yep. Protect your legs. Yes. Wear pants. Tuck
0: everything in and. Yeah. No shorts. We wear gloves and. Yep. Yeah. No, No shorts. Yeah. So do you, would you think that kind of knowing about foraging has given you sort of a different kind of connection sort of to the earth, like maybe a different kind of gratitude for it?
1: I don't know if it's different. I think it's something that I've always had. It hasn't changed in me. It's just, I realized that it's always been there. And some of the plants that I see when I go out now I remember from when I was a kid and I didn't know what they were called, except what my sister and I called them. And I knew what they tasted like. And I, and I knew they, they were good. And, and nobody taught me not to eat those berries, but I figured out pretty quick, these taste terrible, terrible. I'm not going to eat those, but these taste pretty good. Mm-hmm. They're fine. Um, so I've always had that. I can remember being very young in the woods, like eating and trying and, and seeing nature. Mm-hmm. And I think, that has been the connection with me as I've gotten older and I've gotten into hunting. Like I was very purposefully and very intentionally got into hunting when I graduated from university and started working. Like I, I wanted to, to start hunting and mm-hmm. I started with deer. I started with rifle deer. So that's late in the season, but then I loved deer hunting so much. I got into archery and I got into muzzle loader. So then it brought me back into the woods at different seasons. And it, it's always been there like mm-hmm. a friend to me. It's like, Oh, you can mm-hmm. find winter green here. This is really exciting. And Oh, there's like, there's fiddleheads here. I didn't know. So some of the stuff I was in exploring Manitoba, what I was finding first is was in the winter and I didn't really, or in the late season, I, I didn't really realize how much was similar here as it was to Nova Scotia. And then I right. started to learn other species so other plants to eat and then getting into the mushrooms I always was interested in, and fascinated by mushrooms but I just mm-hmm. had no idea where to start and then it was almost like okay I'm going to learn mushrooms this is this is crazy like why am I not going to the woods in, in the summer I need mm-hmm. to go to the woods in the summer it just drove me nuts so yeah it's it's been kind of a gateway for me an excuse mm-hmm. to be there and I don't really go to the to the woods to find groceries to replace what's in the grocery store I think I find and then forage plants and mushrooms to it's a different kind of nourishment like for my soul Mm. rather than for Mm -hmm. my tummy and the tummy's a fun part um but you know sometimes it's hard to convince your family or your friends to have nettle tea and you kind of got to sneak it into the recipes (laughs) they're not into it but they know I get grouchy when I don't get to go to the woods and they know they're like why did not you go mushroom picking this week? And I feel kind of guilty, especially now that we're, we have the hobby farm. There's you know animals to look after. And mm-hmm. um, and I haven't, ironically, moving out of the city, I've done less in the woods because I have the animals in the oh, farm what? to look after. But my boyfriend's really good. He's like, yeah, why don't you go mushroom picking? Like, like it rained, why don't you go try that? And I felt a little guilty about, you know, leaving the chores to somebody else but it really does. That's how I get survived the stresses. It's just like, Oh, I'm going to the woods. Like you got plans for this weekend. Right. Yeah. I'm going to the woods and people look at you side, sideways. Yeah. I'm going mushroom picking. And I, actually, I know that feeling. Yeah. People look and it's at you not sideways. just hunting. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just hunting. Cause it's, it's like, how can you be a veterinarian and, and go hunting? It's like, well, I looked after farm animals. I know exactly how they live and die. And I I don't want that. I want Mm -hmm. a good life and a quick death. And I want to go out there and do it myself. And it's Mm -hmm. hard work and it costs money and it's sweaty, And it's, and like the bugs in the summer, mushroom picking and the ticks and the the sweat. And it's awesome. You know, (laughs) it's not for everybody, but it's awesome.
0: And then that's a good thing. It's not, it's not for everybody, but it's amazing
1: for us. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it has a, I guess I've just become more aware of how important it is rather than it's right. changed me. And I've just purposely found excuses to go to the woods. So to pick, like, I'm not saving any money, driving an hour, especially with gap, gas oh. prices now to go mushroom picking. <laughs> uh, like mm-hmm. I'm like fooling anybody with that, but, but I'm living and thriving with it. Like it's, it's yeah. a way to live rather than, you know, just groceries.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah, it's deeper. I, it's exactly, it's deeper than that. I, uh, I have a little piece here too. And I, I had a, had a feeling just, just all the things that you told me before we chatted. I kind of, I don't know. I had, I had a feeling about not who you are or that kind of thing, but just, I knew, I knew that it to you, it was more than just the morale picking or just the, just the getting the things for the groceries. It was more than that. It was more, you know, there was more to who you were. So to to end off kind of our podcast, I have a little piece that I heard that I would kind of just love to hear your thoughts on it since you're a lady who hunts and forages and you have that connection with animals. And so it goes, isn't it interesting or maybe odd that we as humans have created an economy around items that the earth gives us for free, even though the earth expects nothing in return except to be treated well and respected, and most people can't even do that much for it.
1: Amen. Amen, sister. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to explain to people. I'm, I'm sure lots of people listening get it without having to explain it. But it's, I don't know, it's respect. It's mutual, you know, being out mm-hmm. there. I'm not out there to take. I'm out there to experience mm-hmm. and have passion for and and um, put my energies behind conservation and my dollars behind conservation to preserve that for generations too. It's not about the taking, it's about the the sharing for sure. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's all we want to do is take everybody's about themselves they don't they need to spend more time in the woods they need to mm-hmm. get out there and just breathe and smell i love the smell of the woods in the fall
0: mm-hmm. it
1: just oh it just settles me it just feels so awesome yeah i agree
0: yeah
1: now if we get rid of the I snow i, I haven't did. seen any geese yet the goose I, season's I, I open saw right now today. oh did you last year february I 22nd i saw my first geese it was super oh early last last year. This year, I don't know. We want to We're um, s- snow blow a a hole in the center of our pasture so we make a pond so that the geese come into the mm. into the yard. Right. Yeah. Who was who was that quote from? All right.
0: Um, it was on a show. Um, it was on a TV show that this gentleman. Um, he travels around the world and he connects with individuals who are like extremely connected to their land and their culture. And he went to, I believe it was New Zealand or no, it was South Africa, South Africa. And he met with a woman that they called her the Western witch. And mm-hmm. uh, she, she was just a just very, very connected to her land, does all kinds of herbal teas and mushroom teas, and collects mushrooms and collects different kinds of herbs and all kinds of stuff. And so they he went there and he learned a little bit from her, and then they had like this big, huge feast in the evening with all the stuff that they had collected.
1: Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad that they call her a witch, even though she was more in tune with nature than all of us city people, right? Hmm,
0: and I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if if his tone for the word "witch" was positive or negative. But mm-hmm. you know, reading it and the general public that would read that and see the word "witch," they would take it yeah. negatively. Yep. So.
1: And something dark about the potions and the mushrooms, mm-hmm. the, the evil. But well, I don't know. Right? Yeah, I think people are amazed. Like, you can eat that? I made I made Nutella last week so I picked I picked hazelnuts last summer in spruce woods and if you try to find hazelnuts in the fall when they're ripe you're not going to find any because the squirrels eat them all or the bugs eat them all so I picked them green last year when I was out mushroom picking and it was too dry got a ton of them and then I dried them at home Mm -hmm. and then I shelled them in the fall and then they sat on my counter all winter and then last weekend another stupid snowstorm blizzard couldn't go do what i wanted to do i finally cracked open all those tiny little nuts and i made nutella and um it's just like it's just so awesome because yeah you can buy that at the store way cheaper than the gas to drive to pick pick the nuts and the (laughs) the sore fingers from peeling the nuts and then hammering them for literally two hours to make a cup of nutella but i don't Mm -hmm. care that's that's it's so awesome and then you tell your friends and like, you can eat that. You can, do we have hazelnuts mm-hmm. here. And, you know, some people still just want to go to the grocery store and buy it, mm-hmm. but okay, fine. You know, support the economy. Somebody has got to make it, make a living down South where they, where they grow those nuts. But really mm-hmm. like, isn't it awesome just to go out and pick them yourself? Right. I don't know. Yeah. Just,
0: I, I completely agree. It's like having a garden. Like, the time and effort that you have to put into keeping that garden, like healthy, weed-free, mm-hmm. keep it watered, keep everything growing and covered when yep. it's frosting, and blah 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 blah. Like the the energy and time that goes into it, you could literally just go to the grocery store and pick something, but yep. you didn't grow it with your own hands. You no. don't labor over it and love it, and mm-hmm. it's just different.
1: Yeah, yeah different. It's awesome.
0: Well, and with that, I guess I will stop recording. Okay. Good chat. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning into another episode of the Unbound Outdoors Collective. I'm really enjoying connecting with the listeners and all of our new episode guests, and I've got some really cool episodes coming at you this summer. If you want to support the podcast and my future platform here in any way, you can head over to the Panoramic Outdoors website and pick yourself up a brand new Unbound Outdoors black-on-black trucker hat. They will be in hand shortly, but you can pre-order them now as of the airing of this episode, and they are limited stock. So you can head over to panoramicoutdoors.com, and thanks again for your support.